Welcome to the WinFL Show. Welcome back to the WinFL Show. I'm your guest host, Patrick Jackson, and joining me tonight is the magnificent Jake McGee. How are you this evening, sir? Um, I'm much better now that I've received a compliment, maybe the first of the day, so that's, that's a good way to start. And the stupendous Dave Somerville is also here. How are you doing this evening, sir? You cut, you cut out after the D, so I'm gonna uh, th- I'm gonna assume that you said stupendous and not stupid. So I'll uh, I'll, I'll I'll let you off with that, and there'll, there'll be no uh, you know let let's go Texas um, anyone chance at all. I was but... aiming for stupendous. You're right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. Let's go. Stupid is oh, yes. as stupid does. Right. That, that's unnecessary. <laughs> We're missing Leota for the uh, second week. He should be back next week. We saw some nice sunny beach photos from him this week, but I was relieved to find out that he wasn't in Miami because, you know, he had enough to go through that remotely, never mind going through it at first hand. We'll come on to that. Yeah, yeah, we will. (laughs) Never has a man been so lucky to be on holiday. Yeah. Oh, quite. So, first up, we have some NFL news, and I think we should start with uh, Nostradamus' moment from last week's show, the trade of Cam Akers, Dave. So I just, uh, you know what, at this point, I was, I was kind of hoping that um, he would kind of collect his pension rather than actually go somewhere else, but uh, it looks like he has gone somewhere else, and first, I mean, we basically swapped picks, uh, but... Yeah, Cam, Cam Akers is finally no longer a Ram, and it's it just it fills me with delight that the Minnesota Vikings did us a solid and decided to trade for Cam Akers. Although I I don't think he's going to be the answer um, to their issues because I think we've seen in the first couple of weeks that they have some serious issues without a certain Dalvin Cook there. Um, but yeah, I, I mean the Vikings, they're they're exchanging picks, so it's it's um, a conditional seventh rounder, um, and Cameron Akers, Cam Akers, for a conditional sixth rounder, uh, both in twenty twenty six. So we've got a few years before this gets enacted. Um, but yeah, Cam Akers, who was a former second round pick, definitely did not work out. Um, I'm, well, I mean, the Rams just don't have a run game right now, and Cam Akers wasn't aiding that at all anyway, so I'm happy for him to go, and I, I would say we got something, but I have no idea what the actual conditions of of the picks are, so yeah, let's see I mean, how that goes. Well, we got them all oh, off. We got we got them off the the salary cap. Well, you know, we're not paying quite a chunk because you know he's coming into third and fourth year of his rookie deal, which will be a good few million off that. So that's the only plus side I see of it. I mean, bold prediction. He's not going to be in the league by the time you make that pick. <laughs> that's an educated prediction. That's a very educated prediction. I, I mean, he, he, you know, he, he could get relegated to the USFL or the XFL, whatever the new name is going to be, because they're apparently going to be joining uh, for for like a kind of feeder league for the NFL, allegedly. So, but yeah, that the exciting times for Cam Akers because he's going. Maybe you never know. Maybe by the time he does become a name that people hear again, he'll be in NFL Europe when it might come back. You never know. <laughs> it it feels like a move that 
benefits both parties or all parties, I suppose. Like Akers needs a move to try and resurrect his career, and he's got the gap to do so there in Minnesota. Whether he's got it in him to do it, that remains to be seen. We haven't seen that so far from what he's put out there for the most part, and um, that Vikings offensive line might not be doing the running backs any favours either. Um, so, yeah, we'll uh, monitor it and see whether he can have the bounce back that everyone is looking for or whether it'll end up just being Rams pleased to have uh, offloaded the cap and got a little bit of draft capital back for him. Um, yeah, following that over the next few months. So elsewhere, the uh, Arizona Cardinals had almost like half a day's worth of good publicity and then we saw a nice video from Josh Dobbs going into the club shop and finding that he couldn't buy his own jersey. Their starting quarterback's jersey was not available for sale. And that just seems like a tremendous own goal when you trade for a guy and make him your starter. All right, behind Kyler when Kyler comes back from injury. But, I mean, show the guy some respect. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, are you surprised, though? Because right this year, that not only were we expecting the Cardinals to tank on the field, but it looks like they're going for the full kind of collection of off the field as well. So just a little bit of disrespect there. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he's done nothing wrong, to be honest. He's been kind of thrown in the deep end. And he's actually put in some good performances uh, for Arizona since he took over the starting job. And uh, I, I mean... Cardinals going to Cardinal, aren't they? <laughs> Deserves better, I think. And you're right, it just feels like a way that mediocre franchises stay mediocre, that sort of lack of attention to detail. And we saw similar things with the Jags today, some like tone-deaf release of celebrating all their many visits to London with some uh, clothing merchandise. And like Jaguars fans after last weekend weren't in the mood for anything any nonsense of any description they just wanted everyone to shut up and focus on the next game and play better and instead they got this oh look we go to london a lot and then jags fans hate that because they hate the link to london like all the moving the team rumors if i'd put up with over the years so that went down like a big sack of words that i can't use on this podcast i'll <laughs> save that um as you can imagine and and you know the the jaguars disconnected media arms shooting the uh Team in the foot is not um, not something we're not used to. That was too many knots. Yeah, so yeah, hopefully that will be uh, swept under the carpet in a few months' time when we've got some more wins under our belt, more than one. We'll come onto that as well. In well, different, slightly disappointing news. Uh, we saw JC Jackson miss a game unexpectedly, and then later found out there was a warrant out for his arrest. So. That's a big piece missing for um, his team. And the Frank Clark saga continues. And he's still absent with weirdness going on around there. And you just really hope that people can get their head straight and get back on the field performing at their best because they're big players to be missing for their respective teams. And, uh, you know, you want the fans to be able to see that sort of thing on the field rather than off it, I think. I'm not sure what, what's going on with the, the Frank Clark one. Obviously, there's the, the Chandler Jones one. Um, and then with uh, JC Jackson, the, the warrant is out. It's like a 600 pound fine or something for a, 
the drive and charge from back when he was playing for the Patriots. I'm not sure that is why he was dropped. I think he might have generally just been a healthy scratch. Obviously, left the Patriots, and like many Patriots quarterbacks, or even just defensive players, completely falls off a cliff after they leave the the system. Uh, they tend to get paid, and then two or three years later, they end up back at the Patriots for like the vet minimum, and, and you know regain the form that they supposedly lost. It's it's a crazy kind of cycle that we've seen with Jamie Collins, Carl Van Noy. So it won't be surprising when J.C. Jackson signs for the Patriots in a year or two. Thanks for saving me from misnaming a player from an entire new segment there. That was a good save. <laughs> did indeed. Me and Chandler Jones. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So that brings us to the end of the new segment. Unless anyone else has got anything else they want to toss in no, with correct no. names. Who knows? <laughs> oh, Negative. We'll cover a lot of the injuries and stuff throughout the, the review that we'll get into. Um, so I think we're, we're ready. All right. Let's crack on into the games then. We start on Thursday night football in Santa Clara, where 71,593 people watched the San Francisco 49ers beat the New York Giants 30-12. to Dave, give us your thoughts on this one. Well, it was painful for me to watch. Um, and obviously, because I fell asleep uh, at half time, then I had to watch the whole thing again, uh, which again, double pain for myself. But yeah, I've, I've come to the realization that um, the, the 49ers are trying to become modern day patriots. And what I mean by that is that they have an amazing defense and they have a quarterback that cannot really execute the deep ball except once, maybe twice a game, uh, such as maybe one certain TB12 did for over a decade plus. Uh, and this is pretty much what we saw on Thursday Night Football. But the Giants are just, I mean, they, they, I, I, I'd love to say they just can't catch a break, but they, they, they're just rubbish. They're just not good. That's a, that's a problem. Um, but I, I tell you what, Debo Samuel looks back to his absolute best in this game. He, he, bouncing off the tacklers and big run, uh, uh, you know, big big receptions. The lot. Christian McCaffrey was just on fire, and there's just nothing the Giants could do whatsoever. They were lucky to get twelve points, to be honest. Um, I mean, I mean, the 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 coverage from the 49ers defensive backs was amazing. It, it was painful, uh, the, but the Giants have some serious issues and they primarily are on the offensive line. That offensive line just cannot guard. They cannot push forward for uh, any kind of power run whatsoever, any inside run. It is, it, it, they're luck. I think there was one inside run where the Giants got four yards or more. That was it in the entire game. I mean, they, they just didn't have a run game whatsoever. Barkley is just... Yeah, Bar- Barkley has missed a lot, but I don't think even Saquon could do much about what 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 was witnessed on Thursday night football. But um, yeah, it, it it was getting to the point where it was just it was painful, really, really painful to watch. Um, but yeah, it, it was that's it. There's there's nothing else I can really say about it. It was standard thirty points to twelve for the Forty ers um, there are, I think the only thing that may hurt the 49ers over the course of the season, I've seen, I'm noticing the first couple of weeks that there's a lot of hot-headedness, uh, especially at the end of plays. Um, Dre, uh, Dre Green Garbage, whatever his name is, um, was t- t- he, he's had a couple either kind of uh, roughing penalties or... Um, 
uh, you know, unsportsmanlike conduct penalties, and it's it's I can't, it's happened a couple times now, and that could be a potential. Yeah, it could have a major impact on a game. You know, if you if you're getting called for fifteen yards, what well, uh, once every couple of weeks, that could completely change the outlook on the game because the Fort Niners, apart from this game, uh, look look at the game against the Rams. That was not that far away. We we weren't that far away from you know uh, equaling or get or getting cl- as close as possible to the Fort Niners uh, and pushing them for the win. But these kind of penalties are the are kind of things that can turn games on their head. Greenlaw. Um, I think there was, um, if I remember rightly, Trent Williams uh, and, Asia, and former Ram Aishon Robinson where it had got into a proper scuffle. Um, and I expected Trent Williams to be ejected after the replay of it. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I pretty much should have been, uh, as far as I'm, I'm concerned, and I think he should have got a season ban uh, for it. Um, and <laughs> depending on the results of the 49ers uh, season, uh, I think that should have been extended uh, till about. March of next year, I think would have been a fair one. Um, but I did see Asha Robinson threw a punch as well, so you know it, it was it was hammering. Don't make her right. Look, Asha Robinson, in my opinion, is one of the best run-stopping defense tackles in the league, so he should get a pass for it because he's an ex-Ram. Trent Williams is just a bad egg, uh, and egg is a nice word that I can put in there. So, uh, yeah, 49ers painfully go three and zero as expected. The Giants are just god awful and let's move on before i cry because it's going to be a long show and there's no i don't have enough tears in me for what's about to come (laughs) so a game that went pretty much as we all expected then jake have you got a highlight or a low light you want to share with us well to 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 save the bias and share some love to the the 49ers it was christian mccaffrey's um 12th straight game with a touchdown and the 49ers 13th straight regular season win so I think you summed it up well it was, quote, was basically what everybody expected it was a, a 3-0 team against a 1-2 team truly You've got highlights so I'll go low light all the low lights I wrote down were mentioned in Dave's summary apart from Darren Waller's lack of catching was like 2 from 8 or something and when you got him in your fantasy team particularly it's very painful watching him put balls on the ground over and over again and the Giants desperately need reliable receivers they aren't a good enough side to have their primary receivers dropping stuff like that on such a regular basis so in, in that fairness, means tying up along with a lot of other things yeah in fairness though I, I think when you've got two of the best linebackers in the league guarding you every time that the uh, that Daniel Jones drops back, and uh, like two, he quite he could have uh, caught, and it would have been good catches of, of those. But he was targeted numerous times. Jo- uh, Daniel Jones was nowhere near him on quite a few. So uh, you know, it goes down as him being targeted. But if if the if the ball's like you know out the stadium, but it's but you're the one that's been targeted. That's a, it's quite a harsh assessment. <laughs> so um, yeah, I I, th- I think I yeah, he, he, Daniel Jones didn't really. Throw it about too much, um, but he, he was he was questionable as well. He didn't have his best game. Near, near, in fairness, so near to Brock Purdy, but all Brock Cur- Purdy can do is quick slant and throw it to the running back. He was split thirty three out of thirty nine dropbacks. Of course, he's throwing quick slants and, and you know and screens and stuff. He's getting blitzed like ninety five percent of his dropbacks. What yeah, is he supposed what, to do? Uh, stand there and take a sack? Hey. Well, I mean, for my sanity, yes, but you know, we're, I'm, I'm not, I'm not gonna. Uh, I, I, I think I'm saying from 
but at least the, the last couple of weeks of last year, the last uh, the first, last couple of weeks this year, I, I've not seen he's, he's he's good in the system. That's it. That's all. I, I mean, even uh, even Jimmy G, who's shall we say not the best quarterback, he's he's pretty average. Let's be honest. The readers have got a bit a bit the bullet on him a little bit. He fit into that system perfect. He, but I think it's a really bad indictment on Trey Lance that he doesn't fit into this system at <laughs> all. So, uh, yeah. We but, just uh, haven't seen from him, have we, at all? No, Let's just... move on to Ford Field, where the Lions beat the Falcons 20-6 to in front of 63,803 happy Lions fans. And really, this was predominantly a game where defences were on top, I think, especially Detroit. They fall six punts and a turnover on downs. Um, just 20 carries across the entirety of the uh, Falcons team, which was a surprise. And uh, just 21 from 38 throws completed through the air really stunted the Falcons' offense. So it was a great day at the office for Jesse Bates back there, but that wasn't enough to keep it close in the end. And uh, in the absence of the injured David Montgomery, Jimmy Gibbs really stepped up with 80 yards on the ground and St. Brown, Laporta and Khalif Raymond all looked really good through the air. Um, they had more receivers yards between those three than uh, the leading receiver for the Falcons, who was Kyle Pitts. Nice to see him getting a bit more involved, but still like nowhere near enough to compete with... Alliance team that look, you know, like proper contenders to win that division. Now that says something about the division as well as it says something about the Lions, but they're a decent side at the moment, and uh, that's a unusual thing that we're going to have to learn to get used to, I think. Um, it will concern the Lions that they only had four different players with a reception in this one, perhaps. They need a bit more variety in that passing game, but they're ferocious play on the defensive line and in the secondary, and uh, that secondary led by Brian Branch was really comfortably enough to keep the Falcons at bay in this one, and uh, yeah, it was uh, not a particularly competitive game. I was expecting it to be much closer. Let's go to Dave for a highlight or a low light. Uh, I mean, it depends on how you look at it, but I see Jared Goff got another interception in this game. So that's uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm going to make a bold prediction. Say this is where it turns for Jared Goff. He's he's hits he's hit his peak, and now we get what we saw at the Rams. That he's I think I think in a in a novel they would call it the denouement, if I remember rightly, from uh, fourth year English. So big shout out to uh, Dr. Murray for that one. Uh, so thank you for her. But yes, uh, I, 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 it wasn't competitive. It wasn't the best game um, in regards to action packed and you know big time touchdowns. Desmond Ritter, I mean, what, what was he sacked? I've, I've got six written down, but I think I feel like I've missed some. So it could be eight or nine. Uh, but yeah, Bijan Robinson got one large run that that went for you know for for, for eleven yards, something like that. Apart from that, Falcons didn't really show up, though, did they? I mean, Kyle Pitts, they, they tried to use Kyle Pitts a lot more, um, but he was it was short yardage that he was getting when he was getting targeted. Um, apart from that, Jared Goff, interception. There we go. <laughs> Lions are about to experience it. I'm telling you, it's coming. There we go. So that was the low light from Dave. What was your highlight, Jake? 
I'm going to highlight on a lower light. Uh, highlight is one of the players you mentioned, uh, Brian Branch, uh, Sam Lepore, just really the, the Lions kind of front office on their drafting. They seem to really have a system and stick to it, and it seemed to be paying off. And then the low light is the fact that the Falcons averaged 2.8 yards per play, which the Lions doubled. Oof. Oof. Painful. Okay, let's move away from that depressing statistic for the Falcons to Lambeau Field, where the New Orleans Saints fell by a single point, 17-18, to to the Green Bay Packers in front of 78,043 fans. Jake, take us through this one. Well, when I predicted the Packers' one-point win, I didn't foresee it uh, on how it went down. I mean, the Saints kind of charged to a 17 to nothing win, played three pretty complete quarters. Um, Carr, who has been sacked 11 times in 11 quarters, left with a, a left, well, a, a throwing shoulder injury after Rashawn uh, Gray, who uh, Rashawn Gary, who's had a monster game. He was just a nightmare, um, just absolutely terrorizing the offensive line, which for how much they're getting paid, has really underperformed this year. But on that particular play, and in many plays this year, Derek Carr's just doing something that Drew Brees, or or he's not doing something that Drew Brees always did do, and just taking what the defense gave him. If you watch the play where he injures his shoulder, I think it's about third and eight, third and nine, Jimmy G's about four or five yards down the field, just giving the ball, he's wide open, just giving the ball. He, He may get the first down, he may not, but it, just give what the defense gives you. I, you know, holding the ball, and a lot of times sacks. You know, if your offensive line sucks or is underperforming, sure. But a lot of times sacks are on the quarterback as well. You know, good quarterbacks or smart quarterbacks don't take those hits. And obviously, that hit was one hit too many. He's going to be out a couple of weeks, maybe. We'll, we'll wait and see. Seem to have avoided um, major issues apparently. Uh, that's the Packers' eleventh straight home opener. Um, they didn't risk. Uh, Christian Watson, Aaron Jones, Bakhtiari. They've obviously got Thursday night football in mind. So to win whilst underhanded is absolutely you know fantastic for the Packers. Love he messed up a fourth and two trick play. Had a very ugly interception. Had a few kind of quite. It was not his best game. It was you know he led uh, you know an eighteen points unanswered. You can't really argue with that. But a very strange game to watch. He kind of leads the league in uncatchable um, catches. 31.5% of his throws are uncatchable, which is the highest in the NFL by some margins. That is kind of one worry with him. Um, Obviously mentioned Carr went down. Well, Jameis came in, he played fine. Uh, And when it mattered, drove the Saints to field goal range. One minute, five left, 46 yards. Blake Krupe hits it wide right. Uh, and the only kind of positive I had for the Saints after all that was Alonte Taylor. He had a great game with Paulson Adebo out. He's asked to do something a bit different. Got a sack, a couple of tackles for loss, five passes defense, including an unbelievable um, breakup in the end zone. So it was kind of the, the shining light in a, in a pretty dismal collapse in the end. Groupie will be getting banned from the locker room again by the security guards. <laughs> Dave, what was your? would you like to pick a highlight or a low light for this one? Well, I've got my highlight for this one, and I think I don't think Jake mentioned it, but Rashid Shahid's seventy-six yard uh, touchdown punt return was just majestic. I loved it. It was it was what you want to see from uh, a special teamer, and yeah, he he just I think that was I, I expected the Saints to win this game. I'm afraid, and especially with, with all the players that Jake mentioned, along with Jair Alexander. 
uh, was missing from that game. So, yeah, I think it's a bit of a shock that the Saints didn't manage to win it. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think they should probably be called the Everton Saints by now because the, the same thing oh, keeps happening in this one. Uh, so, yeah, there there's, I, I, I don't know, highlight. Low, well, hi- highlight is uh, Shahid, lowlight would be um, the... Saints they should can't be have nice things. <laughs> it's just the New Orleans toffees now, so we'll go for that. Yeah, my low light was the Derek Carr injury because it's just, just you don't want to see starting quarterback going down, and you've got decent depth there, maybe, but no, it's uh, it's never good news. Yeah, never they've got be- better depth than the majority of other teams. James Winston is one of the best players to have as a backup quarterback so I th- it's it, I think they're okay but at the same time Carr is a better quarterback and you know, hopefully he can come back soon Speaking of backup quarterbacks let's head on to M&T Bank Stadium where the Baltimore Ravens lost in overtime to the visiting Indianapolis Colts in front of 70,038 fans Dave tell us about this exciting ebb and flow one I mean well yeah, it, it, this was a painful one. I wish I never, I wish I never got to watch this game, but um, <laughs> yeah, it did. Uh, it, it's just a case of um, Mackey pretty, pretty much uh, putting put a dagger through my heart because he won the game in overtime for the Colts, and all the Rams had to do was just pay him a little bit. That's all they had to do. It wasn't a huge amount. It's not like we didn't have cap space. We do have cap space. We just didn't want to pay him and. Well, he went and did his thing in overtime. Um, Gardner Minshew was fantastic in this one. I, I think I'd like to point that out first and foremost. Gardner Minshew looked like an accomplished quarterback uh, back there. He, he, did, he didn't have the best percentage. You know, it was 27 or 44. He took a few sacks. Uh, the Baltimore uh, defense were... Uh, they had standouts and they had people lacking. I mean, Cal Hamilton... Should be right in contention for Defensive Player of the Week. He was an absolute wrecking ball. Every time he came forward from the strong safety position and got in within and within like a mile of Gardner Minshew, Minshew was going down. It, that, that's all Cal Hamilton had in his in his mind, and he was fantastic. So big shout out to Cal Hamilton, even though he was on the wrong side of this result. So yeah, they went went to nineteen all. Um, I think Lamar through the air was questionable when the ball was going more than 10, 15 yards. Uh, he missed a couple of middle middle distance throws. Uh, he was 22 or 31, so you wouldn't think that, but they were almost all middle to long distance throws. So he, he like checking it down to Mark Andrews, uh, a good few um, short passes to Zay Flowers. I mean, Zay Flowers, he was targeted 10 times. Eight of them were caught. But he only got 48 yards, and a lot of them he had to fight for yards after catch. Mm-hmm. So he's, if he's catching at one, two yards from uh, the line of scrimmage, there's not a whole lot that's going to get done there. Um, I, I, I did like seeing um, Kenyon Drake uh, back uh, behind, so he, he was good to see. And Melvin Gordon had a couple of nice runs as well. Uh, but apart from those two, Gus Edwards had one good run as well. They couldn't really get the run game going aside from Lamar, uh, but it was more unintentional runs from Lamar. Um, but there again, he doesn't need to, intentional or unintentional, he still racked up 101 yards in the game and two rushing touchdowns, uh, which is all you really need. But uh, he was 22 or 31 in throwing, 202 yards. 
I'm not quite sure how the Ravens lost this game. The Colts just had these slight moments of, uh, I wouldn't say brilliance, but needed necessary plays uh, at the right times. Zach Moss had a really good game. That 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 was really key for them in the run game. They had Zach Moss, like, like Jonathan, who don't even know anymore. Just trade him, <laughs> trade him for three first round picks. That that's exactly the right way to go. Um, on the defensive side of things, uh, I noticed uh, Zaire Franklin. Uh, he had uh, fifteen total tackles and a sack, which was uh, very good. Um, there wasn't any kind of other standouts except from shamefully the kickers so you, you had uh, obviously the greatest of all time on one side justin tucker and the second greatest of all time uh in matt gay on the other no. side no. now matt gay I, I mean i mean if will lutz was that great he wouldn't have been traded but anyway matt gay was five of five in this game contributing like 16 points in total to the colts and as long as he as long as it was only 54 yards but he got it every time. He did the job perfect. Justin Tucker, on the other hand, he was one or two. He managed to make a 50-yarder. And uh, shame on him for missing the 61-yarder. But, uh, you know, we'll, 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 we'll pretend it didn't happen because it's Justin Tucker, obviously. But going down 19-19, neither team looked, looked, looked competent in overtime. And, uh, yeah, I, it was just a case of who's going who's gonna to mess up basically and the Ravens just couldn't quite get get it done Garner Minshew very impressed with him, Zach Moss very impressed with him, oh, the other defensive player of course would be another ex-Ram uh, in Samson Ebukam who might have gone to another team last year that we don't talk about but he was on that edge, re- setting it really well and really limited um, the Ravens on offence but the Ravens' offensive line needs a bit of work as well. But Colts, overtime victory, 22-19 over the Baltimore Ravens in front of 70,000 poor Baltimore natives. Mm. It's not often you see so many changes of possession in overtime. That's a, certainly true. Yes. <laughs> Jake, do you want to give us a highlight or a low light from this one? Uh, the low light being Will Lutz isn't even in like the top 50 of kickers all time. And Matt Gay is nowhere <laughs> near the top 10. Um, <laughs> but in, in terms of this game, uh, obviously Kyle Hamilton, uh, big kind of a highlight in terms of three sacks. That tied the record for most sacks by a DB. Um, the reason the Colts lost this game, not to take uh, the Colts won this game and not to take anything away from them is the absolutely egregious no call on fourth and three on the Indy 47. Uh, and that was on like Baltimore's second possession in overtime, uh, and obviously led to, to the Colts having a short field and kicking that field goal. Um, very res- reminiscent of another no call uh, contact before the ball was ever there. Uh, at least the rest are consistent, and they didn't they didn't call that one either. Yes, that's disappointing, and, and bad refereeing is something we'll come onto in another game because there was some absolutely egregious stuff out there. One other low light I'd like to throw in is the uh, ankle twist on Lamar Jackson after the play had been blown dead because you never like to see that. I think that was Zaire Franklin as well, and he kind of tarred his good game with that little bit of mm. naughtiness after the play. Like th- There's an edge you don't want to see people crossing, and that felt beyond it to me. All right, speaking of disappointing, disgusting things that I never want to see again. <laughs> we go to Everbank Field, where 61,466 people, to start with, watched the Jacksonville Jaguars <laughs> capitulate 17-37 to 37 to the Houston Texans oh. in what was just 
a hideous display in all aspects from the Jaguars. Like the previous two games this season, we haven't been brilliant on offense, but we've at least had a really strong defense, good special teams to look back on and keep it close and keep it interesting. But this one, the unfancied Texans were solid. The Jaguars were disgraceful. And uh, the Texans swept them aside. The defense started all right. Texans O-line did well and didn't really allow much pressure on CJ Stroud. So he spread the ball around like a man who's played a lot more than three games in the NFL. Um, And yeah, they moved the ball down the field nicely, got themselves in scoring positions and uh, scored when they needed to. On the other side of the ball, Calvin Ridley hurt himself, dropping a touchdown, which led to a field goal that was missed, which led to good field position for... The Texans, which they scored from. And then we had a blocked field goal, which led to even better possession for the Texans, which they also scored from. And we were 17-0 down at half-time, and it was just awful. And then the second half, the offence woke up a little bit, got us to back within seven points, and I thought, here we go. It's like last season all over again. We're going to do what we did to the Chargers. And then, from the kickoff, we allowed a fullback to go 85 yards score a touchdown and it wasn't even that that was the worst thing because he had the ball knocked out of his hands by one of his blockers at the start of the run back but that was at the 10 and there was no Jaguar past the 30 so he had 20 yards of space to pick it up and then break the edge and run 85 yards and it was just the nail in the coffin at that point heads dropped defense threw in the towel offense went eh eh and then there was a turnover from an awful interception and everything was pain. So um, let's go to Jake for a highlight. Or a low light. Pick your favourite. Pick your favourite. was there was no sacks in the game at all. Um, on the flip side of that, the highlight is CJ Shroud with four starting offensive linemen out took no sacks. And again, like I said with the Saints one, I think sacks is quite often a quarterback stat and to have a very makeshift, already pretty porous offensive line and manage to avoid taking a sack is very good for CJ Shroud. Maybe an even more damning indictment on the, the Jaguars. And that's fullback who took the kickoff. He's the heaviest player in NFL history to score a return uh, kickoff for a touchdown, I believe. That was the best thing that happened to the Broncos this week. Good <laughs> on you, Becky. Uh, Dave, do you want to throw in a highlight or a low light? Well, I think my highlight was going to be Tank Dell uh, because he had the game of his life, uh, which I'm sure it's painful for yourself to see. But the game of his life so far. (laughs) Well, yes, exactly. Because this is he's he's fresh out of college, so uh, yeah, I I I definitely think that uh, he was definitely the highlight in this. But uh, also, Andrew Beck uh, was one that uh, a certain Bronco would have loved to have seen day in Denver because when he he kind of burst out onto the scene halfway through last year uh, with a with a cracking game so um I'm interested to see what Andrew Beck's got to offer uh, the low point I mean it was just a calamity from uh someone a, a team who are now purely focused on telling people how many times they played in London um mm-hmm. yeah and you know they they're going to travel to London for two games the first is in inverted commas, uh, a home game against Atlanta at Wembley. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, the the other one was that um, the Anton Harrison 
uh, injury for the right tackle of the Jags. He injured his right ankle in the second half, and I don't think he returned at all, no? No. No, no, I didn't think so. But yeah, between that and Calvin Ridley, just, yeah, he, he dropped three passes and two, two of them were in the end zone, so that was a pretty low point for uh, the Jaguars. But yeah, ta- Tank Dell, fantastic game for him. Uh, rookie to rookie, uh, CJ Stroud gets his first win. Yep, our hopes and dreams are broken like Devin Lloyd's hand and he will miss the London trip because he's having surgery to repair it. So that's just an extra kick in the balls that we didn't really need. <laughs> Let's move swiftly on to US Bank Stadium where 66,878 people watched the Minnesota Vikings watch a chance to beat the LA Chargers and go down 24-28. to 28. Jake, tell us about this one. It's more of a, a botch off. Uh, nobody wanted to win this game. It was, a, it was a, a costly win for the Chargers as Mike Williams is out for the year on his ACL. And even worse, Brandon Staley still has a job. Um, up four with <laughs> one minute 47 to play. Uh, the Vikings, no timeouts. You're on your own 24 yard line and you run the ball with a guy who rushed 11 times for 12 yards. I'm no genius. That's a terrible decision. Um, mm-hmm. Staley is a defensive coach. They've invested a lot of money, a lot of picks, a lot of time on that, on this defense. And to not take that ball away up four, get great field position. You know, the, the Vikings with at that point would have about a minute 30 left. They have to go the entire field and score a touchdown, not a field goal. Um, was a questionable decision. Um, obviously, if it comes off, you look like a genius. Brandon Staley does not and is not a genius. But then the Vikings outcharger the Chargers. Um, fourth and five, 42 seconds left. They convert. They choose not to spike the ball. They don't stop the clock. And they don't run another play until there's only 12 seconds left. Um, not only that, they, you know, they wasted 37, well, 27 seconds in between those plays. They didn't have a clue what was going on. They all looked confused and scrambled, and it ended up in an interception and sealing the game for the Chargers. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, for the Chargers, Justin Herbert, again, 40 or 47, 405 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Keenan Allen, just <laughs> ridiculous. He threw a touchdown for 49 yards. He well caught 18 for 215 yards. At 31 years old, he's now one of eight receivers in history to record over 200 receiving yards in a game at his age. Last time that was done was by Andre Johnson in 2012, and his 18 receptions are the most among those players. So he's still got it. Uh, they're obviously going to be relying on him more with Mike Williams out, which is a shame. Um, but like I say, it's just nobody wanted to win this game. And it was two teams that really kind of summed up by the, the kind of ending phase of that game and just two very car crashy teams. Yeah, you couldn't predict who would win it, but you could predict the exact style of the game. And it yes, really yes, it was always going to come down to mismanagement. <laughs> so, uh, Dave, do you want to give us a highlight or a low light from this one? Well, I mean, the highlights. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's got to be you know Justin Justin Herbert becoming the second fastest player in NFL history to reach fifteen thousand passing yards, and he did it in his fifty second career regular game, and that was only topped by Patrick Mahomes, who got there in forty nine. Uh, just to add to that, but the the low points. I mean, the Vikings have a minus seven turnover ratio, which is the worst in the league. And uh, obviously, uh, T.J. Hawkinson got his fumble in the game. 
I, they're still worst, even though the, there was four fumbles uh, by the Chargers, which it doesn't make it look any better. But the Vikings, uh, if they're going to make the playoffs this year, just, just to kind of round it off, if the Vikings are going to make it uh, to the playoffs, they will only be, uh, I believe it is the fourth or fifth team in history uh, to start with uh, one, two, three, four, it's the fifth team in history uh, to make it to the playoffs after an 0-3 start since 1990. And the last team to do that were the Texans in 2018. The extra game, I helped them slightly. Wow. <laughs> well, exactly. But, uh, you know, the, Vi- the Vikings are just, they, they don't look the team that we were, some of us were hoping that they would be. But, uh, yeah, Vikings, very disappointing. Indeed. So we go from one game between two fairly ropey, unconvincing teams to another. And at the Cleveland Browns Stadium, 67,919 people watched the Cleveland Browns romp to victory 27-3 over the Tennessee Titans. A victory which I couldn't enjoy properly because of how abysmal the Jaguars were. So I hope Dave enjoyed it more than I did. Take us through it, Dave. First of all, before I start on this, I'd like to uh, take myself away from watching any more Browns games because this was just painful and awful to watch. Uh, it's the, the there's been a lot of um, obviously slagging of Deshaun Watson. I think rightfully so in many ways. What the numbers tell you and what the game actually had are two very different stories because. The Deshaun Watson is. I'll read your stats 27 33 for 289 yards, two touchdowns, right? And also on his feet, he was four carries for 16 yards. That looks a really good, competent quarterback performance. That's what this this was not a good, uh, competent quarterback performance. This was just a calamitous defensive display by the Titans. It was awful, awful to watch. Um, I mean, there, there was a, it, it was a game where there was a good, there was a good few um, no calls. Uh, I mean, Ryan Tannehill was just garbage, as was the entire Titans team offense, defense, the lot. Um, Derek Henry got nothing, nothing. There was maybe one run that I think he might got seven or eight yards on. Apart from that. He, he was just he was tackled before he he could even get hold of the ball properly. That's just how good that Cleveland de- uh, defensive line is, uh, and they proved it time and time again. Um, Tannehill was sacked five times, which was just a joke. But the twenty-seven three scoreline flatters the Browns. Uh, I hate to say, well, I, I don't, don't know if I even hate to say, but they couldn't get the run game going. Really, that was the only bright thing for the, for the Titans. But it wasn't that the Titans' defensive line or the defense was good against the run. It was just that the Browns were just equally as bad and lacking any sort of competence. But Amari Cooper did very well in the game. He was constantly targeted. I lost count how many times. Uh, But he he kept catching them over and over again. Um, But Miles Garrett should be banned from the league right now because that man just... It, it, it's just... It's serious assault is what it should be regarded on on these poor tackles. Because there's just nobody that can stop that man when he wants to get to the quarterback. Um, yeah, the Titans are in a really serious situation, and just one thing after another kept going against them. I, I, I mean, I'm struggling to find any kind of positives <laughs> to say about it. We saw Kareem Hunt back. Uh, it was okay f- to see him back, I suppose. 
Uh, yeah, that, that that was it. There's just there's I I it was a painful game to watch. Uh, they kept throwing to Andre Hopkins when he wasn't really in the area, uh, which seems to be a trend of the games that I've watched this 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 week. Um, aside from I mean, Ryan Tannehill was just, was really bad. Really bad. Mm. Uh, he, he had no protection in favor of him. So their plan, they they wanted, they were wanting to go deep to players like uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Traylon Burks. It, it it just wasn't working out because that defensive line bulldozed every single offensive line man in that game. If if they had the game plan that the Forty ers had with constantly um, just getting you know balling it out two and a half three seconds at very most, they had a chance. But it just wasn't going to happen. Five sacks. Um, I think he also he lost the ball once as well. Titans are in a bad way. That that AFC North, uh, AFC North, yeah, AFC North is just awful right now. I'm afraid to say, uh, Patrick, and I don't think you'll have any North South both bottom. Sorry, <laughs> well, the the Browns the Browns are not in a good division either in my support, but it, uh, it's hard for me to tell up and down right now. And uh, watching that game made me just think that the de- that defensive line could actually get them to the playoffs, and it's 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 not nice to see at all whatsoever. But Deshaun Watson actually had a decent game; he was just wasn't as good as his stats show, but. I'm such a happy person that uh, you know the only thing, the only bright thing I can do from this match is wish Nick Chubb a, a quick recovery so that Deshaun Watson will stop getting the ball. Well said. Cooper ended the game with seven receptions for 116 yards and a touchdown, which, as you say, yeah. very good day at the office. Jake, do you want to give us a highlight or a low light from this one? Yeah, the low light is Amari Cooper should have had two touchdowns and about 200 yards. The, the official decided to call him out of bounds when he was absolutely nowhere near out of bounds. It was yeah, the most was ridiculous bad. thing I've ever seen. I just, it's bizarre. So many times in the NFL and even, you know, football over here, you know, you play the, you know, let, let the play run out if it's close and then you can review it and then check. He wasn't even in the vicinity of the out of bounds. It was just bizarre. Um, but not to just be doubly negative, I do have a highlight. The best three single game performances on defense, week one. Well, number one is week one Browns. Number two is the week three Browns. Number three is the week two Browns. Just gave mm-hmm. Jim Swartz the assistant coach of the year already. He's, 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 he's won it. I, I'm just, just to mention that one, um, when, I, when I was watching the game and then they went back to, I, I went back 30 seconds to have a look to see what they actually what what actually happened live to me it looked like the uh, referee wasn't even looking at the ground but he still called it out so that's a bad a very bad call to have made and you know it's not like you've only got one guy there to check if someone's gone out of bounds so yeah that that was a really really poor uh, officiating defensively call. bad officiating yes and we are going to be mentioning more than one in, uh, in this review yes I had one other low light, and that was Deshaun Watson throwing out of a sack directly <laughs> towards his own end zone. And instead of taking like a 10 yard sack, it ended up being almost 20 of running back just about getting back in time to uh, retain possession, what could have set up uh, the Titans in very nice field position, which they would have inevitably squandered. But I don't understand what went through his head unless he thought he was facing in a completely different direction to who he was actually facing. It was an absolute brain fade moment and one that really underlined where he is as a quarterback right now and it's not somewhere that's uh, 
beneficial for his side, I don't think, most of the time. Yeah, he did he throw it back to the running back and just horrifically missed. Uh, I think with all the gambling issues in the NFL right now, that is the game I want to investigate because Deshaun Watson <laughs> throwed it back for like a 20-yard loss and officials calling people out of bounds when it's not even close. These are things that don't happen in the NFL or shouldn't happen in the NFL. So that's the game that needs to be investigated. <laughs> We've got the under on Amari Cooper shutting down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, from the ridiculous, let's move on to the sublime then. And we go to Hard Rock Stadium where 65,522 delighted Dolphins fans watched their side set a massive record, 70 points to 20 against the Broncos. And I've never seen anything quite like this game. Ten touchdowns, two turnovers on downs, and one punt for the Broncos. Broncos? They wish. For the Dolphins, (laughs) 726 yards of offense. And they didn't even have Jalen Waddle, their uh, second, first best receiver, probably second. But they had four touchdowns each for Raheem Mostert and uh, Devon Achan. Achan? Achan? I don't know. It's heard it pronounced about six different ways. It's It's not a chain. I know that much. Yes, I think it's an everyone was calling him. but I can't yeah. do the American chair. So there we go, four touchdowns each for them. Just mad. The Broncos' defence couldn't handle anything, and defence was one of their strengths last year. So the drop-off from Ajiro Evero is really stark, and it just goes to show like how bad things can get so quickly. And it's a weird one because the Broncos didn't look that terrible on offense. They put 20 points of their own. Jerry Judy was back and looking all right. Courtney Sutton made some good contested catches. I like Mims and Johnson looking like bright young prospects. But every time they had to punt, they got further behind and further in a hole. And just no offense is keeping up with a team who can put up 70 points. It's just crazy. So, Jake, give us a highlight or a low light from this one. Uh, I've got a highlight, and you, I'll give you the low light when I do Niosa's random stat at the end. Uh, so stay Ooh. tuned for, for this cracker of a, a random stat. Um, but the, the, the highlight, I would say, is the Dolphins had more touchdowns than third downs, and Tua had more touchdowns than incompletions, so it was just efficient. Incredible. Dave, any highlights or lowlights to add? Total offense for the Dolphins, 726 yards. That is unreal. And uh, do you know what? Uh, another highlight, though, is that the Dolphins didn't set the all-time high points, high, high points going re- uh, record out of respect to the Broncos because they want to win, but they want to do it in a respectful manner. So, um, yeah, that pretty much kudos to them for that because they were a field goal. Well, they were two points away. They could have had gone for the field goal, but instead they took a knee and wanted to give the ball back to the Broncos just for the last couple, last minute or whatever. Um, there's a bit of respect there. The low point, I mean, I, I don't know how the Broncos don't have a defensive coordinator vacancy. They, they, they're they just <laughs> they're shooting themselves in the foot. It's going to be Hackett 2.0 in that DC uh, position because they're just going to stick with him until it gets just beyond ridiculous, beyond a clown show. So, um, yeah, they, I, 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 I'm struggling to find any kind of high points for... Uh, the Broncos in this, just that Miami didn't set the record against them. So, yeah, that, the, that those Dolphins are just ridiculous. And, of course, one other slight high point, Mike White got a touchdown. 
Yeah, so I was going to say, I'm not sure how respectful bringing on Mike White to throw a touchdown to Robbie Chosen is, <laughs> but uh, here we go. Yes. You know what coach would have gone for the field goal? Sean Payton. Yes. Sean Payton 1,000% would have gone for that field goal. Yes. Yes, as would McDaniels, but we'll come back to that. Not McDaniels. Yeah, Josh McDaniels. We'll, Josh we'll McDaniels would have, yes. Well. It was a chasing day for the Broncos, and they've got probably the best bounce back game in the league up next with the Bears, so this could be uh, an all-time thriller for us to watch. And speaking of all-time thrillers, at MetLife, we watched the New England Patriots beat the New York Jets 15-10. 80,878 people watched that, and some of them spat their own teeth out. Jake, take us through this one. Well, it was 15 to 10. That's 15 points, and it's 15 wins in a row for the Patriots against the Jets. Um, wow. Even Bill Belichick managed to smile and had it cracked a joke on a, on a podcast. And he's in great spirits, even if the Patriots are uh, one and two. Beating the Jets is always going to bring a smile to, to Bill's face. Um, Zach Wilson, he is exactly who we thought he was. The man even sacked himself. It was embarrassing. Uh, almost as embarrassing as his head coach persisting um, that he is the, the best um, person to lead us forward. It's, it's going to cause issues. It caused issues last year. It's going to cause issues this year. Um, they need to change something. I don't know what. Trade for someone. Uh, I mentioned Kirk Cousins because the Vikings are always three and might well just blow it up. Um, so trade for Kirk Cousins. Hell, even trade for Ryan Tannehill, who is awful because he's still better than Zach Wilson. Um, on the other side, Mac Jones continues to have a fascination with opponents' groins. He's just a really <laughs> weird dude. I mentioned how I don't like him, and he's a dirty player, but he's just a weird dude. Um, you know, in a positive way, um, Matt Judon had two sacks, two tackle for losses. Um, hit the Cuba, uh, quarterback three times. He got the safety. There was two safeties this week, which is is rare, almost as rare as the, the two scorer gammies we got. It was a, it was a great week um, to be on Twitter or X. Uh, and for me, the Jets, it wasn't even all Zach Wilson. The Jets, you know, got a good running back room. They rushed 22 times for 38 yards. Cook averaged 2.3, Hall averaged 1.5. They missed so many tackles, and the, the defense was so bad. The, the scoreline, 15%, flatters the Jets no end. They had no rushing, no receiving, zero sacks. They went two for 14 on third down with a 2.8 yards per play. Um, and then I've been a bit nice to the Patriots over the, the week, so to be mean to the Patriots or the low light on the Patriots is letting Jacoby Myers leave. I'm paying Juju Smith-Schuster uh, the exact same contract, basically. It is criminal. Myers, uh, over two games, because he missed one due to concussion, which wasn't his fault, he got nailed. Uh, he's 16 catches, 166 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, seven of his 16 passes have gone for first downs. Juju, on the other hand, in three games, 10 catches for 66 yards, no touchdowns, four first downs. Uh, and each week, his targets have gone down. Week one had seven, week two had six, and this week had three. Yeah, I just don't know how the Patriots, who have always had wide receiver issues, really, they finally got a good one in, in Myers and kind of trained him up and built him up. To let him go is a strange decision, but to let him go, and it was clearly not money-orientated because they, they paid Juju the exact same contract, so that one is all a bit of a head-scratcher to me. 
Hmm, unusual. Dave, any highlights or lowlights from this one you want to throw in? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a low light um, of just how bad the Jets were. That offense is just awful. It's it's really awful, and uh, it's it, it's at crisis point right now that something needs to change. If you're not going to change Zach Wilson, then you change the decision maker because, uh, yeah, I, I mean, that this is... This has gone beyond a joke now. Uh, he, he just he's, he's just rubbish. He, he's, re- he's really not good at all. Um, you know, I, I think it also shows that some of the some of the players um, around them they just they, they just they, their body language said a lot. Uh, especially yeah. go, from sec- going from second to third down a lot of time. Every single one of them, their heads were down. Just like this is just so bad. This is unnecessary. Um, the you know, I, I I don't know where even to start, but um, that uh, a slight high point was I suppose uh, Mac Jones's uh, throw to was it uh, Pharaoh? What's his name? So Pharaoh Brown okay. or Pharaoh Brown? Pharaoh Brown? I know Brown. Um, you're right, Brown. Yeah, it is Brown. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so yeah, that that was quite a good one. I quite enjoyed that. But apart from that, it was just a, a very standard, low exciting game. Uh, but yes, uh, maybe one other depends how you look at it. High point, low point was that Bill P- Belichick snarl, which I do not deem to be a smile. It's just a snarl by like an evil villain. <laughs> but uh, you know, it wouldn't be the same without him around. So yeah, let, let, let's move on from this game because it it was just rubbish and always absolutely. I mean, the, the Jake nailed it. The, the Zach Wilson self sack was embarrassing and. The comments on it afterwards from Salah were like, I know I have to defend this guy, but it's basically indefensible and quite cringe that kind of watching that portion of the press conference and they've brought in Trevor Simeon since. So does that count as competition? I guess it might. It's um, interesting to see how that all shakes out, but it's not trending in a Wilson's going to be fixed by having Rodgers around, which was uh, a narrative that was out there for a little while. So we move away to FedEx Field where the Buffalo Bills swept aside the Washington Commanders 37-3 in front of 64,291. I was going to say disgruntled Commanders fans, but from the noise of it, it was quite a lot of Bills fans. They were in evidence as they are everywhere they go, really. You know, in a normal week, this would have been one of the most one-sided games of the week, but um, this week was mad, so... It was just kind of standardly one-sided. The Washington defense did well to keep it close, I thought, despite a horrific first half on offense. The commanders went interception, punt, turnover on downs, interception in the first half. They were still only down by 16, and uh, the Bills were held to three field goals and uh, a touchdown with a nice 35-yard pass to Gabe Davis on a one-play drive after a turnover. And then the second half started really sloppy. There was a load of turnovers, uh, both sides. And then the Bills got it going on the ground. Bills with a rushing game is always dangerous, as we said. They're getting them a little bit more multifaceted. So they got it going on the ground, got some points on the board. There was an AJ Epinesa pick six to rub additional salt into the wound. And Washington took a field goal on their final drive to avoid the shutout, but that papers over the cracks in the same way they're throwing a napkin into the Grand Canyon does. It was a really horrible day at the office from Sam Howell and uh, from Washington in general. So let's go 
two day for a highlight or a low light from this one? I mean, the low light is just Sam Howell in general because four interceptions, nine sacks. That was that's bad. That's a harsh introduction, but. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I was struggling to see any kind of high point for uh, the commanders at all. I mean, they, they got one interception in the game. That's about it. That's all you can... Uh, Kendall Fuller was the one who got the interception. But apart from that, they were just the back to the Washington that we know and don't love. So, um, yeah, I, I think Josh Allen looks pretty competent. Obviously, I had that one pick that marked the afternoon, but he, he seemed to miss a lot of throws. But yeah, somehow the undoubted low point of that entire game was just the the, the offensive line for the for Washington, and you know the amount of unnecessary picks that he picked up as well. So yeah, back to the drawing board for Washington. Mm. There's some divisions where they'd be a competitive outfit, but not the one they're in. Sadly, yeah, maybe in the XFL, but. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, any highlights or lowlights to add from you? Well, the highlight is that the Bills' defense, obviously, with five takeaways, the four interceptions, the pick six, nine sacks, ten tackle for losses, five pass defense, hit the quarterback 15 times. And on the flip side, the otherwise normally dominant or, you know, very good Washington defensive line, which they've invested countless number one or first round picks on, they got zero sacks, which is concerning. It is Josh Allen. He, he is a menace. And, uh, <laughs> but you're right. And it's perhaps no wonder somehow on a bad day when you read out those hits and pressure stats. Yeah. That is just awful. He's no wonder, he's, we wonder he's not got PTSD. So let's move on from uh, Sam Howell's shellacking to Arrowhead Stadium where 73,562 people watched the Kansas City Chiefs put the expected whooping on the Chicago Bears 41-10. to 10. Dave, what did you see in this one? Just hilarity, one thing after another. Uh, but yeah, the Chiefs, the way they started this game, you, they couldn't have done it any more swiftly, I think would be the best way to hey! describe that opening. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, I, I mean, there was just ridiculous things happening in that first half. Uh, the the amount, Taylor Swift was up in Travis Kelsey's box um, with... Uh, <coughs> The, the the best seats in the house um but yeah it, it was just incompetence by that bears defense in that first half uh, it it was it was humorous but um I'm, I, I'm struggling to find any kind of positive for what i saw in that first half justin fields was no better at all he made a couple big runs in the game um and the only positive thing was his touchdown uh very late on to dj moore's a perfectly thrown pass but it was his only perfectly thrown pass of 22 attempts as far as i was concerned uh he was 11 of 22 for 99 yards through the air that one touchdown um he also got a pick as well which uh was just it was unnecessary um the three sacks as well uh patrick mahomes just did what he standardly does 24 33 Three touchdowns, 272 yards, no picks. Um, I, I would be worried. Very Obviously, you'd be worried if uh, Patrick Mahomes goes down at all uh, for Kansas. That, obviously, that's very worrying. However, when Blaine Gabbert comes in as the backup and on his very first uh, play that he's going to throw the ball gets picked off, uh, that would be extremely worrying. But then uh, he had four more attempts. Three were completed and the other one went for another pick. So... Mm-hmm. 
I'm not quite sure what to make of that, but if anything happens to Patrick Mahomes, which he was limping at the end of the second half, but you know he's he's going to be the last player to come out of any game, as we've seen over the last few seasons. He is not a willing person to sit out at all, no matter what the circumstances. Disgustingly resilient boy. Yes, and it 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 annoys the rest. Thirty one out of the thirty two teams in the league that he is like that. Um, yeah, I mean Chase Claypool. There was some effort from him, but. Fields just wasn't finding him. He just wasn't finding anybody he threw at. So it, it was really disappointing. Uh, they they couldn't really get a run game going. Uh, Khalil Herbert and uh, what is, is it? Uh, Johnson, the other the other running back, maybe. Yeah, Rashawn Johnson. You're right. Rashawn Johnson. Nothing. There was just nothing from any of them. Um, I mean, TJ Edwards for the Bears must be knackered and black and blue today because he was the only one making any tackles whatsoever. Uh, there was no no sacks what, uh, whatsoever for the Bears on Patrick Mahomes, not even one on Blaine Gabbert. Um, Justin Fields was sacked three times, whether they were intentional or not, but he, 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 was just, he couldn't find anyone. It was really good coverage from the Chiefs, and I think just a toss-up between them and the Dolphins about who's going to be favourites to get to the Super Bowl this year from the AFC because the Dolphins on offence look unstoppable. The Chiefs have now got a defence that is ridiculously good. And a little random stat as well, the Chiefs are the only team in the league with a starting defence that is under the age of 25 on average. That is painful. And that is setting up for just an even longer dynasty. So... Make of that what you will, but it depresses the heck out of me. And I, I just, yeah, um, well done, Travis Kelsey, on his performance in uh, on the field and in basically completing life, if the rumors are true. Oh. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, he had another standout game, seven receptions, 69 yards, and the touchdown, of course. He was, he was magnificent. And also, welcome back to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who, had a, who came in for uh, Isaiah Pacheco and looked pretty decent, actually, for considering what he did in the last few games that he started. So, yeah, Chiefs have a lot to be happy with. The Bears have nothing to be happy with. And it's just, I think it's a case of how long do you give Justin Fields and uh, the head coach there as well. Absolutely. Jake, any highlights or lowlights to add to that? Yeah, I'd say the, the Chiefs beat the Bears like they had bad blood, but hopefully they can mm-hmm. shake it off. Otherwise, oh, they're looking at no. another oh. cruel summer. The low light is read, in, read, read into that as you want. I've put a lot of time into that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had my low light is just the entire Bears organization. And I, it puts it into perspective as a Jags fan to see the heights from which Bears fans have fallen in the summer. Goodness me. Uh, Blaine Gabbert, we already mentioned, he's no Chad Henney. Maybe they should uh, tap up Blake Bortles, see if he's available and go through the whole of the Jaguars' back catalogues of uh, failed QB1s. I was impressed with Rashi Rice, the rookie wide receiver for uh, the Chiefs, as if Mahomes needs any more weapons. That guy caught 5 of 7 for 59 yards, and he's becoming a reliable young target and that's what Mahomes needs to complement that stable because that's what was lacking in their loss to the Lions earlier on so yeah the uh, Chiefs improvement continues and depresses everyone else in the AFC 
Moving on to Lumen Field, where 68,699 people watched the Seattle Seahawks take apart the Carolina Panthers 37-27. to Jake, take us through this one. Yeah, it was a bit of a shaky start uh, by the, the Seahawks, but a very solid second half, especially on the ground. The 12th man really did play their part. The Panthers had eight full start penalties. It was, it was very loud. And it caused a lot of issues on on the Panthers' kind of backup quarterback, and now like a bit of a shaky, already poor offensive line. Um, so they certainly assisted um, Seattle with Walker and Charbonnet. Uh, they went, I think, thirty-five or one hundred forty-six, two touchdowns. Uh, Carolina, on the other hand, could get absolutely nothing going, which ended up with Andy Dalton, the Red Rifle, throwing the ball fifty-eight times. He played very well. Uh, it was a, a good week for most backup quarterbacks, not named Blaine Gabbert. Um, but 58 times, 361 yards, two touchdowns. He linked up very well with, with Adam, Adam Phelan. 11 catches for 145 and a touchdowns. But for both teams, there was lots of injuries before and during the game. I think it really came down to the Seattle Seahawks won the battle of the trenches uh, and they get to move on to 2-1. To and one. Yes. Uh, any lowlights or highlights to add to that summary, Dave? It's just just a, 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 the the low point, not even of the game, but just for me, is that it, this is the third NFC West team that won uh, this weekend, and it pains me uh, to say that. But uh, yeah, it, I mean, it it shows what a good uh, home crowds can do in your favor. Uh, it, for personally, it was a low point, but. Um, it's always good to see the fans get involved. So that was basically my only high point of it, to be honest. Yeah, that's fair. The, the number of penalties in general was a low. Like, there was like 21 across the game. Yeah. And it really stymied the Panthers. And you're right, my highlight was the uh, resurrection of Adam Thielen. It's uh, nice to see him back. Although, if he keeps take, having to take hits like that for his team, he won't be back for long. All right, let's move to... Probably my favourite game of the week at State Farm Stadium. 62,915 people watched the Cardinals tank misfire and beat the Dallas Cowboys 28-16. to Dave, take us through this one. Well, you say it was one of your favourites. This was one of my least favourites uh, for very obvious reasons. Uh, because, <laughs> yes, as I said previously, the third team to win in the NFC West and it was the Arizona Cardinals. This was not something any of us had predicted, and I don't think anyone should have predicted uh, that this was going to happen because, just well, in my notes, the uh, the Dallas had uh, an eleven minus eleven on the bookies line for this game, uh, and it turned out the Cardinals won by twelve points, by twenty eight points to sixteen. So uh, I think the bookies just misspelled that or clicked the wrong team. But mm. uh, this was not a game that. You can say that the Cardinals won. It was more that the Cowboys lost it um, because the, it was mistake after mistake after mistake from the Cowboys. Um, they were actually called for 13 penalties in the game. So, we, you know, we were just talking there about uh, penalties, but the Cowboys were 13 penalties and it combined for a total of 107 yards uh, in the game. So that that was all. They were already putting themselves on the back foot, you know, not even being on the back foot because of something the Cardinals had done. Um, but yeah, I mean, Josh Dobbs, very, very competent at a quarterback. I was very impressed. What he what he had to do, he did it very well, um, including that big uh, 69-yarder to Michael Wilson. Uh, 
wasn't for a touchdown, but major, major field advantage right there. James Conner, just shy of 100 yards from 14 carries. That That's excellent in itself, averaging 7 yards a carry with a long of 26. Um, he also got a touchdown, very good for him. Uh, Rondell Moore as well, massive 45-yard run. They were just fantastic. They, it, it was almost like every time they ran the ball, they surprised the Cowboys, which, you know, usually they, they've got that, They've they've got that kind of um, hybrid run pass efficiency. I'd say they can go between the two, one back back and forth, back and forth really well. We saw it towards the end of last season. We've seen it the first two games of this season. Um, but they did get two sacks on uh, Josh Dobbs, uh, Demarcus Lawrence, and of course Michael Parsons still getting another sack. But they just no one seemed to be at their best for the Cowboys. Um, Tony Pollard was good though. Now, Tony Pollard had a good, a good few big runs, um, and he did his part very well. Dak was Dak, basically. He was really mm-hmm. good, then he was really questionable. He was really good and really questionable, constantly. Um, he was 25-40 for 249 yards, touched on inter- and an interception as well. Uh, interception picked up by Kazir White. Um, yeah, it was a weird game, and not one I saw coming anyway. Uh, the the um the the highlight for me the per the I'd say would we call it a personal highlight? I, I I don't know if it's a personal highlight or not. But um Matt Prater of the Cardinals, a sixty two yard field goal, and it extends his record uh, as the per the, the kicker to fifty yard or more uh, field goals. It's his seventy second of his career, and it just just to put into perspective how good it is. The second in that is Sebastian Janikowski, who retired a good few years ago, uh, and he has 58. So, wow. yeah, it's, it's a fantastic record. So another early random stat for us there. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the, the Cowboys just penalizing themselves over and over and over again. Um, and it cost them what should have been a fairly comfortable win, but it ruins their 100% record and they're now 2-1 and one, and the Cardinals get their first victory with Josh Dobbs and James Conner as my star men. Mm, yes, Jake, have you got any highlights or lowlights to add to that list? Yeah, the, the highlight is that the Cardinals first half rushing, they went for 182 yards. Not as much in the, the second half, but they'd done what they needed to do. And the lowlight is that the last three drives from the Cowboys, all red zone attempts, Downs, field goal, interception, just just bad. Just bad. And um, our resident cowboy, um, Tim, was quite happily sending in memes and I'm poking fun at the Broncos. And I respect him for, even when the Cowboys were doing the unthinkable and losing to the Cardinals, he just kept on going. He doubled down. He didn't care. Uh, I mm-hmm. respect it. Because if that was me, I would have been nowhere to be seen. My phone would have been turned off and I would have just been crying into my pillow. How do you lose to the Cardinals? Fair play, Tim. Well played. Yeah, it's always a highlight for me when the Cowboys lose hilariously, and I picked the Falcons running attack as well as the uh, highlight of the game. The Cowboys tackling beyond the defensive line was weak, and you know that's something they're going to need to tidy up if they want to keep um, being competitive. At the real top end of things, or even with teams we were expecting to finish dead last this season. So, uh, good on the Cardinals for belying expectations, and uh, I'm glad I chose to watch this one live in the late slot. It was uh, an entertaining one. 
perhaps unlike the game we move on to at Allegiant Stadium. 62,541 people watched Sunday Night Football where the Raiders lost 18-23 to to the Steelers. Although from the sound in the stadium, the majority of people were happy with that result. It was a similar pattern to the Week 2 encounter with the Buccaneers and uh, they took the lead early on, did the Raiders, but then just couldn't get anything else done. It was a nice 32-yard uh, touchdown to Devontae Adams, but then the Steelers fired straight back with a massive 72-yarder to Calvin Austin. And defences got on top. Levi Wallace picked Jimmy G, the other Jimmy G, we should say, given we had a Jimmy Graham reference earlier. And that set up the field as a go Steelers with a go-ahead field goal, and they never relinquished that lead. There was more Raiders turnover second half, putting them deeper in a hole, and it was a hole they could never dig their way out of. They battled back a little bit, from 16 points down to 5 points down, and then we had the uh, chicken call towards the end, 4th and 3, short field, 8 points down, take a field goal, try and let your defence get you the ball back. Couldn't happen. Steelers saw it out. 5-point win, despite still a fairly ropey offence. That defence is enough to carry the day against teams as mediocre as the Raiders. Jake, give us a highlight or low light from this one if you have one. Uh, it's, it's obviously going to be a low light. And if Brandon Staley needs to be fired, Josh McDaniel has to be right behind him. I mean, just what are you doing, man? Down eight points and you're going for a field goal. But it's not even as simple as that. They Fourth and one, they were going for a field goal. They had a false start. So they had fourth and five, still went for the field goal. That was then nullified by a penalty. They got first down again. Happy days. You've got a chance to to correct your idiotic mistake to go for a field goal down eight. Um, then they end up a fourth and four from the uh, what was it? The, well, it's a twenty-six yard field goal from the eight yard line, and you don't go for it. Even if you don't get it, it's better for your defense to be starting on you know. It's got 92 yards to give rather than 75. I just don't get the decision at all. It's just bizarre. Three minutes, 15 to go, and you elect to hit a field goal and hope you get the ball back. And if you do get the ball back, you have to go 80 yards. Why not just go eight yards and, and score a touchdown? It, for an offensive guru, an offensive genius, it was just the most questionable decision I've, I've seen in a while. Yeah, very much so. We've definitely seen a case of some head coaching egos across the league costing their teams in vital situations where they aren't able to get the collective sense that they need to uh, get things moving in the right direction. Dave, do you have anything to add on this game? Uh, I mean, the only kind of bright part was that the Steelers had 333 yards uh, and 17 first downs in the game, which it sounds like a bit of an average uh, kind of total. Uh, however, in the first two games, they had a combined 494 yards and 24 first downs. Uh, so they've massively improved on offense. And I think also last week, I did say that the ticket prices at the time of our recording were going for a good few hundred dollars for seats there. That's because the Steelers had bought them all. The Steelers, but half, <laughs> half, at least half of the, cr the crowd were Steelers fans. So but they, the thing is, though, the Raiders were ready for that. So they had to use a silent count. For the entirety of the game but i mean uh, jimmy g was just he, he had very little help uh, four sacks three interceptions he did have the two touchdowns but 
Oh, he had a lot to do in that game, and he he was just it was a bit overwhelmed, and I, I don't blame him. And I, I was I was going to highlight exactly what Jake had said about the complete mismanagement uh, because they, it was come up to the two minute warning uh, when they took the field goal instead. Instead of going for it on, I think it was fourth and four, like you'd said, Jake, and it mm-hmm. was you know on like the eight nine yard line, something along those lines, and they just, it just absolutely bailed completely they were just hoping to stop them early uh in uh, after the two minute warning it's just an awful awful uh mismanagement there and how how he survived to come through to this season is beyond me anyway but for somehow the Steelers are top of the AFC North and the the I mean their quarterback is Kenny Pickett it, it's just it's beyond me um and you know obviously you've got an alleged well, someone that's supposed to be better uh, as their backup, but I'd say, gee, good. I mean, what a rubbish game! This this made any game I saw questionable. So I'm I'm not I'm not impressed that ticket prices were going at five hundred dollars uh, per t- per ticket for this game with four days to go till the game. So yeah, I'm very questionable about some of the ticket prices. And very questionable about Jimmy G. Although Devontae Adams had a, had a magnificent game as well with 172 yards. But there we go. Steelers somehow come away with it. Yeah. So shout out to Levo Wallace for uh, sealing it with his second pick. And yeah. shout out for Jimmy G for surviving getting followed up <laughs> like an accordion at one point. Because yeah. I was fully expecting him to be on a car and uh, off to hospital after that. And me played on, which uh, is unlike him, I suppose. We move on to the Monday Night Football doubleheader, something that I'm glad isn't being repeated this week. Um, 65,426 people packed out Raymond James Stadium to watch the Tampa Bay Buccaneers take on the Philadelphia Eagles and lose, as we expected, 25-11. to 11. Jake, take us through this game. Yeah, the real Kelsey Swift pairing was actually in Tampa. Uh, they were running all <laughs> over the books. <laughs> Uh, the, the Eagles ran 40 times for 201 yards. Uh, they moved to 3-0, and and Hertz is still not playing at his best. Uh, he went 23-37, a touchdown, had the Philly kind of push-push, whatever you want to call it, uh, but two interceptions, and he's really not playing his best at the moment, which is great for the Eagles, because if you're 3-0 and and your quarterback is playing pretty subpar, that's a, a pretty good place to be. Uh, the Eagles outgained the Bucks four hundred and seventy-two to one hundred and seventy-four yards. It was th- th- again another one of these score lines, which is absolutely flattering. Uh, they had over double the first downs. It was twenty-five to three before Evans, who has really been back to his best, which is a shame because he is about to go missing next week. Um, but back to his best in a contract year, caught the, the one-yard touchdown, and then with nine minutes twenty-two left. And they've brought it back down to, to 14 points, a two-score game. Well, guess what? They never saw the ball again. The Eagles just bled nine minutes, 22, a two-minute warning, and three timeouts, which is frankly impressive. Um, Jalen Carter on, on the field continues to impress. And on the flip side, Richard White and the Bucks' run game continues to struggle. Uh, they gave up a, a safety. They weren't able to make it out of their own end zone. Just really kind of ugly um, for the books, and it's not going to get better for them next week. No, probably not. Dave, any highlights or lowlights to add to that? 
uh, the, I think the low point was just the the entire Tampa Bay offense. It, it was a, bit, a pretty pretty struggling poor affair as well, from what I saw. Um, and you know, the, the, there was a couple of fumbles as well. I think Baker was they would, he was lucky that the Bucks managed to get that ball back. But the high point, I, I think Dorney Swift, he, if I remember rightly, he had a hurdle uh, on a big run, and we always like to see a big hurdle over a defender. Um, literal high point literal yes and you know he, he was quite swiftly over that defender but uh, yeah it's it, like Jake was saying no, Jalen Hurts not looking great shall we say he's, he's not quite um, living up to the big contract that he's now got so hopefully he'll progress well maybe not for uh, the majority of our teams um, but yeah I, I mean we do want to see Jalen Hurts like completely tank uh, but yeah, I, th- I think he's he's got a bit of work to do to Jalen Hurts. So it'll be interesting to see what he comes up with in the next few weeks. But yes, I, I I totally agree with what you said just before that I really don't like two Monday night football games. It's I, I mean I, I I couldn't if one of my teams if I say one of my team if my team is playing in one of the two games, I don't care because I'm not watching the first game at all. But it's not good for the general audiences. Um, because Monday Night Football is Monday Night Football. It's usually a highlight game, and you've got two that are crossing over uh, starting an hour apart. So I, I'm not enjoying that at all, and let's hope it's just a temporary thing. Yes, I agree. Um, I'd pick up as highlights. I was really pleased to see Reed Blake and Chip back from injury and playing well. I was impressed by Mike Evans surfing across Reed Blake and Chip's back to make that catch. That was a phenomenal piece of work. And the D Delaney interception right on the goal line was brilliant in a losing cause, albeit, but still very impressive. Tampa's kick defence, on the other hand, was ropey. Um, so that needs some work. But, you know, it's the Eagles. They're a tough side. It wasn't an absolutely disgraceful display. They're uh, still better than I expected this season. The books has uh, reasons to be cheerful for them. So we move on to our final game of the week at Paul Brown Stadium. 65,158 fans watched a nail-biter as the Cincinnati Bengals were just able to squeak out a 19-16 win against A's LA Rams. Dave, take us through this one. This, this, this was not only a nail-biter, but a tearjerker for the wrong reasons. Um. Yeah. So, when I said earlier that there were some questionable uh, calls in some of the other games, this is the one personally for me that takes the absolute biscuit. So, uh, yes, it, it was um ridiculous. Uh, there, okay. So, it's finished nineteen sixteen. Now, consider this: Matt Stafford throws an interception to the linebacker. Now, uh, the linebacker was Logan Wilson. Now, the ball hits the deck, moves a little bit, but the call stands as an interception. Now, what the reasoning they gave is that the left hand may or may not have made it look like it was under control. The ball is moving in his hand. Therefore, it is not an interception. It should not have been an interception, and the Rams could have easily got points from that. Now, the second one was just unfortunate because it wasn't his fault because uh, Matthew Stafford threw two interceptions. He was also sacked numerous times because he kept just staying still and no quick throws whatsoever, which is very disappointing. 
Um, but we lost uh, Alaric Jackson and Joe Nobloom to injury in this game. So the left side of our offensive line has been brutalized for the second year running. Uh, so I'm not happy about that whatsoever. And of course, that is where the pressure kept coming from again and again and again. Um, uh, it, it was awful. And, um, you know, Evan McPherson with a couple big 50 yarders. Um, and, he, he, you know, he, he was just fantastic uh, on the kicking side of it. Um, any bright points? I, th- I, I, th- I think um, probably... The interception of the year happened in this game as well. Uh, when Akilah Witherspoon with a one-handed interception grab, uh, it was just that I, I was at this point. My, my how can I put it? Uh, my motivation was very questionable, and uh, through the tears, I was silently cheering uh, when he did that. But uh, yeah, it, the game was virtually gone by that point. It was it was pretty awful to see. The game was mismanaged as well, majorly, by Sean McVeigh. It went, every time there was a third and more than 12, he decided to run the ball. Every single time without fail. Now, that is just not good enough. Um, I think we're seriously lacking on the edge of our um, defense as well. Aaron Donald, was he was brilliant, uh, as expected. Uh, Jamar Chase was kept under wraps right up until half time when all of a sudden we pretended that he didn't exist anymore and just let him do whatever he wanted, which <laughs> resulted in him getting 141 yards in the game. Joe Burrow in the first half, I think when he was throwing the ball uh, under 10 yards, he was something like 10 of 10 or 11 of 11, something along those lines. When he was throwing it more than 10 yards, he was about 2 and 8, 2 and 9, something along those lines. Um, so. Make of that what you will, but but Joe Burrow did not look mobile at all in the game. Matt Stafford was way below his best. Uh, he made he, he made some one or two great throws, but for every one of those great throws, he made three really unacceptable attempts. So uh, yeah, and uh, the chemistry between him and uh, Cam Akers' replacement, Kevin Williams, is just not there. I'm afraid um, we're we're not getting Van Jefferson in the game enough. We had one deep throw to him. He's our wide receiver one. He was targeted three times. Two, uh, One was potentially catchable. One was just completely uncatchable. And the other one was a really good deep ball uh, reception to him. Uh, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a backward step for the Rams for sure. Um, Safford was very unlucky in his second interception to Logan Wilson because it was tipped and it just went in the right direction. Burroughs could have easily had two or three uh, picks uh, himself in this game. But there, I think there was two that were tipped, and neither of them went to a ram. And there was also a big, a big vital reception for Chase that was tipped by a Rams uh, defensive lineman. Yes. I want to say it was our young defensive tackle, Kobe, Kobe Turner, um, that managed to get that. But it's still Jamar Chase managed to grab it, and Joe Mixon, even though his stats don't say it, was probably player of the game for me. So. Um, yeah, a backward step, uh, a game that was probably turned on because of a couple dodgy refereeing decisions, and yeah, sadly we're one and two, although I would have taken that uh, about four weeks ago. Yes, I mean, of all of the pod sides this week, that yours was the one with the most reasons for optimism, despite the loss, I would say, and you wouldn't have looked at that team and thought, 
Stafford mistakes would be the thing holding it back, but the defence kept it tight. The supporting cast was mostly all right, and as you say, few injuries. My highlight from this game was Dax Hill tackles a loss, and that sounds like those blitzers are coming through the gap where you lost players due to injury, which is uh, a sad state of affairs. Stick of the sight of them. (laughs) Jake, do you have any uh, highlights or lowlights to add yourself? Yeah, I've got one of each for the both for the Bengals. My highlight is the Bengals' defense really stepped up uh, when their team needed it, and damn do I miss Trey Hendrickson. Uh, But the low, low point is really, this isn't a sustainable formula for the Bengals. They're having to play everything basically out of the shotgun, every run out of the shotgun because he can't be under centre. Um, there's no outside pocket presence because obviously he's basically playing on one leg. He's throwing off balance. It's it, They got the win, um, but this is not sustainable for the Bengals. I don't know kind of what the aim is here because if you can somehow just eke out these kind of wins and Pray to God that Joe Burrow doesn't aggravate it more and you get into playoffs and he's healthy, that's great. But it's just asking for for trouble. I just I don't see how they can continue like this because he's not healthy. It does maybe look like it's improving week to week, but not by much. And he's gonna need better support from people like T. Higgins, like two from eight is just not good enough. Now maybe that's down to passes not being where they need to be but if the quarterback's not as capable as he normally is you need your receivers to step up and bridge that gap if they can and uh, yeah we we saw that a little bit from Chase and Boyd in this one but not from Higgins I didn't think yeah well I think Higgins Higgins had had one or two drops that were quite questionable but uh, you know when where the Bengals lacked uh, on offense, their defense stepped up I mean uh, you know Jake Jake was mentioning Hendrickson there but uh, Sam Hubbard was fantastic uh, for the Bengals, and he was he was bulldozing uh, offensive linemen left, right, and center. Um, he only he got one sack, but you know it could, it could have been like it could have been five or six easily for Sam Hubbard. Uh, Dax Hill also got a sack, which was quite a painful one to watch um, as well. But uh, yeah, I th- the the thing that stood out for me though is that um, they they kept going to T Higgins when he was covered quite well. So it wasn't always his fault. I think Joe Burrow was just desperate to get out, get it out, out of his hands, basically. Tyler Boyd had a pretty decent game because he seemed to just get that little extra yard. As for Jamar Chase, I don't know what on earth we were doing in that second half in regards <laughs> to him. Um, but it, 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 the interception did come from the ball being targeted to Chase. So I think that was one of the only... Uh, bright sparks, I think, but yeah, the yeah, the only highlight, obviously, uh, was interception of the year, basically from Akilo Witherspoon, uh, a decent rookie, but you know, a tough introduction. Week his third game in the NFL, having to mark Jamar Chase is not by anyone's standards an easy assignment. Very big ask indeed. All right, that's the week three action covered. Slightly more concisely than last week. Let's move on to players of the week. Dave, give us your offensive player of the week. Ooh, now offensive player of the week. I, I mean, I'm giving it to Tua. Uh, I, I'm I'm the biggest detractor of Tua, but I've got to. Uh, he was just everything he did turned turned to gold. Uh, so I'm going to give it to Tua. It could have easily gone to half the Dolphins, but I think because <laughs> of because of the um, the slack that I've given Tua for the last year and a half, I, I'm going to 
bite the bullet on this one and the man who led the offense uh, to 726 yards uh, deserves my award this week. You've seen the light. (laughs) Look, it's a flashing light, okay? It'll be gone by next week. It's fine. Who is yours, Jake? Well, about two and a half, three quarters in, I'd already wrote down Raheem Mostert. I had to change it to Devon Adrian. I mean, 18 rushes, 203 yards for two touchdowns. He caught four passes for 30 yards and two touchdowns. So I think, like Dave says, the Dolphins, you could give it to any of them. Um, I had decided very early on that it was going to be Raheem Mostert, um, but changed it at the end. Um, but <laughs> got a, a multitude of Dolphins. That's absolutely fair. I kind of overlooked the Dolphins on the basis of how much the Broncos' defence just laid down and died and let them do whatever they wanted. I went for James Connor on the basis that this exceeded my expectations and led his side to a really unexpected win against much more fancied opposition. The Cowboys just couldn't stop the Cardinals on the ground when they needed those yards, and I was very impressed with the reliability of his performance on the day. All right, let's move on to Defensive Player of the Week and see if we get any agreement here. I've gone for Kyle Hamilton, who had three sacks, nine tackles, one forced fumble, and was just an absolute menace. And Although his side lost, it certainly wasn't down to his efforts or production this week. Jake, what do you reckon for the defensive player? I went with Miles Garrett. He had five tackles, three and a half sacks, three tackles for loss, and hit the quarterback five times. Phenomenal. Dave, do you agree with either of us, or have you got a third player to throw into the mix? I had both of them written down as as my potential, but I've also got a third one. So just to be awkward, I'm going to go for the third one, and that's Terrell Bernard. Uh, of the Buffalo Bills because he came up where he was just amazing against the commanders. Um, so I've got written down for him that he had seven total tackles, two for loss, two sacks, an interception, a fumble return, and a pass defense. And also another just bonus random stat to back it up. He became the first player with at least two sacks, an interception, and a fumble recovery in a single game since a, a pretty decent linebacker did it in 2007 in Brian Arlacher. <laughs> Good stats. We did a lot of sneaky random stats in before yeah. we get to that segment today. All right. Uh, who was your defensive special teams unit of the week, Dave? Uh, special teams, I mean, Rahid Shahid. Easily. Just just a, a beautiful uh, return for the Saints there. So I very happily give it to him. I was it between, either going to be him or Matt, or Matt Prater for the, the record. But yeah, uh, I'm going to give it to Raheem Shahid. Nice. You agree with that there, Dave? Sorry, Jake. Uh, no, as you can tell, this this podcast I've not been very favourable towards the Saints. I did predict us to lose because I I know the Saints. Uh, I did go for a Matt though, but I went for Matt Gay, uh, first kicker in NFL history to make four from fifty or more in the same game. Uh, he hit five in total: thirty-one, fifty-four, fifty-three, fifty-three, fifty-three. Don't allow Matt Gay to take a fifty-three-yard field goal. <laughs> this is what we learn. I just went for the Cleveland Browns defensive unit as a whole because they mm-hmm. made the Tennessee Titans look absolutely pish. And if you can marmalise Tannehill to that extent and hold Derrick Henry to 20 yards, that is a phenomenal day at the office. And they've been consistently good all season, as you talked about in the earlier segment. So well-deserving of their props. Uh, do we have a rookie of the week from anyone? Uh, Akil Witherspoon. Quite obviously, for interception of the year, 
uh, <laughs> one-handed, taking it away from Joe Burrow's pretty decent, accurate throw. So I'm giving it to him, obviously. <laughs> Any advance on that over bias, Jake? Uh, well, my, my one would be my offensive uh, player of the week. So you know what? Dave can have it. Yeah, I went for your offensive player of the week as well, Achan. But Brian Branch gets an honourable mention because oh, yeah. he doesn't look like a rookie. That's the thing. He looks like an established veteran safety out there. And that's so well, impressive after such a short space of time in the league. Everyone obviously is talking about Jalen Carter. How did we let him fall to number nine? How do we let him fall to the Eagles? Well, one, he didn't fall because of his play. Um, that's why I thought he, he was going to be in prison. That's why. He... Yeah, uh, and the the real person we should be asking that is how did Branch make it to? I think it was like forty three, forty five somewhere in the second round. He made it to. So, uh, like I said earlier, the Lions really know what they're doing when it comes to drafting. Absolutely, they do. I wish they'd teach Trent Bulky. Okay, that moves us neatly on to week. We've got our predictions going on. I've got them sent through from uh, Neosa again, so I will let you know what his is, and then you can feed me in with yours. We start the week Thursday night football, Detroit at Green Bay Packers, and Neosa has Detroit winning this handily 27-13. to 13. Dave, what do you think is going to happen at Lambeau? I think it's going to be a lot closer than that. I've gone for a 29-27 win for the Lions. 29-27. Are you also going Lions, Jake, or are you splitting this up? I was very conflicted with this, but ultimately I did go Lions 20-17. 20-17. A clean sweep of away wins in Lambo. You don't get that very often. Yes, there's a lot of close, difficult-to-call games this week. I was hoping that this game in London wasn't going to be one of them, but Atlanta versus Jacksonville at Wembley Stadium. Neos has gone for a 19-17 to Atlanta win, and I've gone Atlanta as well, and I hate to do it, but we are where we are. Dave, what's your thoughts on this one? I'm going to flip it up. I'm going to give some credit to your Jags, but I'm going to say it's going to be 21 points to 20 for the Jags. I hope you're right. Jake, what do you think? You know what the Jaguars are like. I know what the Falcons are like. So the Jaguars uh, win 26 to 19. 26 to 19. It really does look like it's set up to be an absolutely trash London game and just to carry on that narrative of two teams turning up and stinking it out. But fingers crossed they won't. We'll find out. A game that certainly won't be a stinker Miami at Buffalo. Neosa has Miami winning this one 30 to 27. Dave, what do you reckon is going to happen here? I think this is going to be an absolute gunslinger, and I think it, the Dolphins are going to come away with it. But it's going to be close. I think it's going to be 34 points to 31 for the Dolphins with a late field goal. Excellent. How about you, Jake? I have 30 to 27, and me being the resident Tua fan and, and the, you know, proud of the Dolphins, I, I've actually gone the Bills. Uh, so Ooh. I've got the same score as Neosa, just the Bills taking it. Interesting to see how this one shakes out. From a big scoring, exciting game to one that Neosa expects to be a pretty turgid affair, he's predicted that Carolina will beat the Vikings at home 16 to 10. Dave, do you agree with him? Uh. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that the Vikings are gonna win this one. Uh, but I think, I again, I think it's gonna be close. I'm gonna go for seventeen points to sixteen. Seventeen, sixteen to the Vikings. Very much a coin flip. Which way did your coin land, Jake? 
Oh, this is a weird week. We've got four winless teams remaining, and they both kind of they all play each other. Um, this is one of those games. I've gone the Vikings eighteen to thirteen, and one of my inventive guess how we get to that scoreline. <laughs> it's nice to throw one of those in there and mix it up a little bit. Yes, from winless to winless, we go to Denver at Chicago Bears, and Neosa is obviously still believing in his Broncos, even after all their terribleness, but not by much. 29-28 to 28 is his final score prediction in this one. What do you think is going to happen here, Dave? I think we may see a return of the 16-point curse. Oh, no. I, I, <laughs> I'm going for a 17-16 win to the Bears. Wow. Jake, so you reckon the Broncos will take it or the Bears? I've got more faith in the Broncos than the Bears. I've gone 24-10. More faith in the Broncos than anyone else on the podcast. Good on you. Someone needs to. Next up, we have Baltimore Ravens at the Cleveland Browns. And Neosa has the Ravens winning this by a touchdown, 26-19. What do you reckon, Dave? I'm going for a disgusting Browns win, and I think it's going to be 24 points to 20. 24-20. So we've got one for each, Jake. Which way have you fallen on this one? I've gone for a vintage AFC North matchup. Nine points to six. The Browns take it. Wowzer. That is disgustingly plausible. (laughs) (laughs) So we move to Houston, where the Steelers come to visit, and Neosa has them winning 22-9 to comprehensively. What do you think is going to happen in this one, Dave? I think it's going to go to overtime. I think it's going to be 13-13, with the Texans taking it in overtime. Phenomenal. Speechless. Yeah, well, no, I, I was thinking I predicted two overtime games this week. That was not one of them. I thought it was. Damn, ruined the own, ruined the link. What's your score prediction for this one, Jake? Well, as I've been higher on the Texans than most, it might not surprise you that I am going for a Texans win, eighteen to seventeen. Oh, a slender one, but one on the left. Back-to-back win for the Texans there, like hen's teeth. I went for the Texans as well, and it hurt my soul to do it. They rammed at Indianapolis Colts. He also has the Rams winning this one 20-17, despite the Colts' resurgence under Minshew. I have the Rams winning it in overtime by the same margin. Dave, what do you think? Uh, I'll, I'll, with sort of blind hope, I'll go for our Rams but win as 24-21. to 24-21. That's not 41. That's a bad typo. Jake, what do you think the score will be in this one? This is a really bad omen that back-to-back weeks we are all picking the Rams, which is oh, mental. Terrible um, for you last week. 21-19. Close. Everyone thinks it's going to be close, and it's hard to see it going any other way. Hey, next up, we're at your Saints. Tampa Bay are visiting, and Neosa stays loyal to the podcast and brings a 24-20 win for your Saints. Dave, what do you think is going to happen in this one? I've got a 23 points to 17 win for the Saints. Wowzer. Are we going to have a Saints clean sweep, Jake? Are you feeling pessimistic? I can never be accused of being biased. I'm I'm pretty down on the Saints currently, but not this week. I've got a good feeling. 24-10. Wow. Back-to-back Mayfield stumbles. It must be Kyle Trask season soon, right? (laughs) 
Washington Commanders at Philadelphia Eagles. Neos has this one only by a touchdown, 20-27, to 27, which surprised me because I was expecting the, the Commanders to struggle to score a point in this one. Dave, what do you think the final score will be? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm still hype on the Eagles, uh, especially compared to the Washington, so I'm going for a 34 points to 13 win. Big one there, 21-point margin. Have you gone bigger or smaller than that, Jake? Uh, slightly less. I went 31 to 16 for the Eagles. Notice I never thought the sweep was in any doubt. <laughs> uh, so, Neosa expects the Bengals uh, to continue their trend of offensive improvement and to beat the Tennessee Titans 29-10 at Nissan Stadium. What do you think is going to happen in this one, Dave? I don't think it's going to be quite as high scoring as that. I'm going for 23 points to 13 for the Bengals. I think uh, I, Joe Burrows is just not fully fit, so I don't think they're going to be firing on all cylinders. Interesting. Jake, are we going to have a Bengals clean sweep, or are you going Titans? No one should be picking the Titans with how poor they've been this year. The Bengals win 24-13. to 24-13. I had the Titans winning in overtime. It's my other overtime game this week. Oh, you crazy, crazy fool. Well, I've been bitten by the Titans so many times. Okay, Las Vegas Raiders versus LA Chargers. This is just, just like Vikings Chargers all over again, only worse. Neosa has this one finishing 37-14 to the LA Chargers. Dave, what do you think oh, is going to happen here? That's a ridiculous scoreline. Uh, it's it's a lot different from what I've got. I've got the Chargers winning, but I've got them winning by one point. I think it's going to be Ooh. 24 points to 23. Wow, that's close. Jake, what do you reckon is going to happen in this one? Well, I am feeling ridiculous. And all 15 fans that watch this game will see the Chargers win 36 to 14. 36-14. That is a big one. Wowzer. Well, this next one is a really tough one to call. It's the New England Patriots visiting the Dallas Cowboys. And Neosa has the upset. Patriots 19, knocking off the Cowboys, who only scored 16. What do you think, Dave? I think these mistakes that we saw last week are going to be sorted out. They're, 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 there's not a huge adjustment needed. Uh, so I'm going to take a Cowboys win by 38 points to 15. Oh, that's a big score to run up on that Patriots, D, but I can see it. Jake, what do you think? Well, I've been big on the Patriots' defence and even the offence under Bill O'Brien, but it wouldn't have even been a question until last week, but I, I did stick with the Cowboys uh, 16 to 13, though. Ooh, tight one there. Excellent. Probably not so tight in this one. Arizona Cardinals visiting the San Francisco 49ers. Neosa has the 49ers winning 26-7. to Dave, what do you think is going to happen here? 24 points to 13 for the 49ers. Let's move on. <laughs> Don't want to think about the Niners no. winning at any length of time. Jake, do you think Niners as well? I do. The Cardinals have obviously... Played better than most people think, but this is the 49ers, so I've gone 35 to 15. 15, 35. We go next to the Kansas City Chiefs, who are taking on the New York Jets, and Neosa has the Chiefs winning 37 to 10, although I'd written it the wrong way round and surprised myself. Do you agree <laughs> that the Chiefs are going to trash the Jets? Yes, I do. Uh, and I've got uh, 45 points to 9. Ooh, painful. It's funny, the Chiefs like could have done what the Dolphins did this week and then just 
it's the not running up the score gentle kind thing for most of the second half Jake what do you think in this one I do think it's going to be a massacre in New Jersey uh, 27 to 9 though I think the Chiefs just kind of probably don't even bother the second half we might get to see more of Blinger but yeah, they don't like to overextend themselves unless they absolutely have to final game of the week and we are at MetLife to watch the Seattle Seahawks play the New York Giants. Neos has the Giants winning this one 17 to 16. How do people feel about that, Dave? I've got a very similar scoreline, actually. I've got the Giants winning also by one point, ever so slightly higher, 20 points to 19. I was not expecting Giants win to this one. Jake, are you on the Giants train as well? Oh, but I am on the one-point win train. I have gone the Seahawks 21-20. to 20. Everyone expecting a close game there. I went for a nine-point Seahawks win. It'll be interesting to see how this one turns out. Okay, that's your rapid-fire week four predictions. We are flying through the agenda. We have just one item left, and that is... Random stats. Random stats. Let me take it first this week because I've already written it in the top box on my spreadsheet. So there was a lot of penalties this week, a lot. And it got me thinking, what's the most penalties we've seen in a single game in NFL history? And it took us back to the guess that Jake had last week for the last time three out of the four division winners lost. We go back to 1976. Seattle Seahawks 13 beat the Bucks, who only scored 10. There were 39 penalties in that game, 310 yards of penalties. Two were declined and two offset, so 20 for the Buccaneers and 15 for the Seahawks in accepted penalties, which is just, just a wild, wild game. The most for a single team, perhaps unsurprisingly, is for the Raiders, who had 23 penalties for 200 yards in 2016 when they played the Buccaneers, beating them. Um... The penalties were one taunting, four holding, one intentional grounding, one delay of game, two pass interference, four unnecessary roughness, two illegal use of hands, two illegal formations, and one ineligible man downfield. Twelve men on the field twice, two full starts, and one illegal block above the waist. And yet, somehow... That's not the most penalty yards in a single game by a single team because that was the Tennessee Titans. 212 yards on 15 penalties against the Ravens in October 1999. A game they won 11-14 despite just ridiculous numbers of yards of defensive pass interference penalties. So that's my slightly long-winded penalty random stat. Who wants to go second? I like I like your stat. Jake, would you like to go ahead of me? Well, I have mine and I have Neos. He, he's he's given Ooh. me one. Uh, mine is very short uh, and then Neos is not so much. Um, my, my nice and short one, NFL kick. And it's another one I cursed Jared Goff, so I'm here to curse something else. Uh, NFL kickers are now 73 for 73 this season on field goals 35 yards or less. So who's going to let us down this week? Because this stat, I'm, I'm putting the curse on it. It's dying. <laughs> Tremendous. Okay, from your short one to the Osa's long one, then. Well, it's not long. It's just not as short as mine. But it's uh, I teased it when we were talking about the Broncos and their defense. Well, 
the random stat is, in 1981, the Baltimore Colts allowed the most points in a season. as 533 in 16 games. That works out at an average of 33.3 per game. Over three weeks of the 2023 season, Vance Joseph's defense has allowed 122 points. That is 40.7 per game. And then there was one word underneath it. It was an expletive. I will not repeat it, but you can imagine what it was. <laughs> oh, the poor guy. I'm glad he's on holiday to uh, avoid the, the terrible the pain away. And hopefully he'll be back for a win over the of the, the Bears, but if, he, if it's not... If oh, not, he might not come back. back. <laughs> he might not come back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave, take us home. What's your random stat this week? Well, I have two, actually, because I thought Jake might steal one of mine, so I thought I'll get two up. Uh, but uh, the first one is actually about a certain person that you might not be so happy to hear about, Patrick, and that is CJ Stroud, uh, because he's actually... He's, I think he's actually the best-performing uh, young quarterback uh, around right now, and I'm just going to sh- share some of his stats from the first three weeks. So he's got 906 passing yards, so that averages just over 300 yards per game. Uh, he's got a 64.4% completion percentage, four touchdowns, zero interceptions, and uh, he has an NFL record now for the most attempts in his first three career stat- starts without an interception. So I think Houston finally have a decent quarterback since sort of Deshaun Watson's kind of career peak uh, with Durandy Hopkins at wide receiver. I don't know what you think about that. Do you, do you think it's true? That's a good and very ominous random start, and you're absolutely spot on. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll move swiftly on to my second one because we've had two score gammies this week, and on this show, we love a score gammy. So the first one... Maybe not all of us that are involved in this podcast would like me to share the first score gammy, but 70 points to 20 was a score gammy, and it was the 1077th unique final score in NFL history, and one that I think Niels and his therapist will be discussing in depth uh, in the next few months coming. Uh, but we also had a second one Philadelphia 25, Tampa Bay 11 was a unique score and the 1,078th unique score in NFL history. So two score gammies in one weekend. Some say we would be that we've been quite blessed by that. Maybe not everyone on the podcast will say we've been blessed by that. But uh, yeah, two score gammies and yeah, a good, a good weekend for uh, fans of attacking football, I would say. That's phenomenal. And that's hot on the heels of last week where we had a scorigami followed by a repeat of the scorigami, which, you know, yeah. phenomenal work from everyone involved there. Well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure chatting this through with you the last two weeks. I hope my next guest appearance isn't too far away, but I'll be glad to hear Ian back in the chair and get back some of the... Uh, I'm not so sure we will be. Weeks have been missing. Oh, I'm not so, <laughs> so sure we're going to enjoy that. So I'm, I'm going to buy some ear defenders uh, rather than earplugs uh, for the next week or two um, because I think myself and Jake can anticipate very well what is about to come uh, the next two weeks. Uh, I don't know how Jake feels about it, but uh, I'm preparing for uh, to lose m- even more of my hearing that I've already lost. So it's going to be interesting. I will be watching Sunday through my fingers, hoping and praying for a Broncos win. 
but uh, I'm sure we'll have you back after the, the Jaguars double header in, in England because um, I would like to get your thoughts on that and kind of see if you noticed any patterns or is it a good thing, is it a bad thing? Um, so that'll be good. But massive thank you for, for helping us out in his absence. Uh, but whilst we've got you here, I'd love to hear the updated stand-ins if you have them to hand after after three weeks on our predictions. I do Sorry have to put you on the spot. No, 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 it's fine. It's the next tab on the spreadsheet from the random stats, so it's easy. <laughs> yes, you and Dave both have 30 points. Neota has 25. Splitting the difference is... 581 points out from the correct score lines for Jake, giving him the slight edge on Dave, who is 637 points out. Neosa, 742 <laughs> points out, thanks to the pair of them predicting 70-point wins for their teams in week one, I think, as uh, contributes. Yeah, certainly helps me be in the, the unbiased one. <laughs> yeah, it's been a fun competition to keep track of. I will uh, feed in updates via... Twitter as we go through the rest of the season there. So, thanks to you guys for your hospitality, and thanks to everyone for listening, and uh, join us for the next episode of the WinFL Show. Thank you.